Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Christina Eanes, the 2023 Vice President of Marketing and Communications. Hey, everyone. I'm Stephanie Hupka, and I am the 2023 Vice President of Membership and Outreach and a member of the Pod Squad here at the Metro DC Chapter of ATD. We also have Helena Hodges, Vice President of Finance and Operations, as our producer. Now, for this episode, we are interviewing, or should I say, listening to Tony Salvador. Welcome, Tony. Hello. Welcome. Um, thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, before we jump in, oh, of course, yeah. Before we jump into our topic, can you share a little bit about your background with our listeners and viewers? Sure. Uh, my name is Tony, as we talked about, and uh, I am a psychologist by training, experimental psychologist. I spent a lot of time in the tech industry, about 30 years in a couple of different companies as a social scientist. And I spent a lot of time also with anthropologists and sociologists. So I have a sort of a background, a functional background in anthropology and sociology, and I have a background in psychology. And I worked mostly in corporations trying to figure out like, what's it like to be other people in other places and what technologies might they find useful and actually also relevant um, in their lives. And can we do something about that? Nice. Well, today's topic, listening, in particular listening bias, is near and dear to my heart. It's funny, I actually started out falling in love with listening when I was in law enforcement. So our sister units uh, in the FBI was the crisis negotiation team. And they would bring in law enforcement officers from all over the world. And the entire first day, the entire first eight hours, they spent on teaching them listening. Isn't that really? fascinating? And then, of course, now I'm in the training world, focus on a lot about that. So this is something that I think a lot of people really need some help in. So can, can we start with maybe level setting? What is the listening bias? It's a great question. And I'm going to um, be fully revelatory here. Um, I did not call it that. It turns out that... The, the, the talk that's called the listening bias was a TED talk and it was a special little deal that TED was doing at one time between companies and, and TED and Intel was the company I worked for at the time. And we did this thing and I was talking about listening in a particular way for thinking about products and product development mm -hmm. and marketing. And the, the TED person said, Oh, the listening bias. Um, and, and I was like, I don't know what that means, but it, it, uh, it, <laughs> it turns out he was listening to me and was thinking uh -huh. about what you're really saying is that people listen with a bias, right? And, oh, and wow. I was like, well, they do, right? And, and people, we all listen with a bias and we have to work really, very yes. hard to not listen with a bias and to try and hear what the other person's bias is so that you can actually decide if you like yours better or the other one better, um, <laughs> or just to try to understand the other person. Uh, and, and so I, I went with it mostly because that's what they wanted to call it. Uh, but also it, I, I found it to be interesting because I don't think it's a the, I think it's just a mm -hmm. bias and that we have biases when we're listening, given the context that we're in and a different context will yes. actually elicit different biases from our point of view. And so one of the questions or one of the 
So I do have actually a set of questions as an aside. I'm really curious as to what a day of listening looks like at the law enforcement side. So I, I already I was like, should I start asking questions? No, I should not. I should actually participate Ooh. in what I was. Um, but I was also thinking that it's in, in, when you're in a context, whether it's a work context or a personal context or a doctor's office or whatever it is, um, we bring the bias that's associated with our experience of that context with us. And if we're listening mm-hmm. to somebody else, um, that bias is going to, whatever that bias is, it's going to inform how we hear. And, and, and I think you see that happening in society today. So, and there's ways to break that. I don't actually, that. sorry. No, no, I, I'm, I think you're absolutely right about that. Although I'd love to hear a little bit more from you about what that can look like. So when you're thinking perhaps in a, a place of work with a team, with a supervisor, what can the listening bias look like? How might you know perhaps if you might be presenting one, if you're, if you're seeing one being met with one, are there, are there kind of things you might be looking for? Um, can I tell you a little story? Is that, is that okay? I love a story. Um, we love stories. Yes. <laughs> there was some work that I was doing uh, a little bit ago, a couple of years ago, and mm. we were thinking about a concept we were calling relational wealth and thinking about um, how we build mm. relational wealth as part of a society. And I was working with a, with a with a company and they wanted to try this out internally. And they were trying it out and um, they were applying it to themselves and to a particular project. And they were thinking younger people, younger than this. And um, they were, were saying, okay, how are we going to resolve conflict in this project? Right. And I was thinking, what? And, and because my background was you resolve conflict in the way that that company would resolve conflict. There's a corporate culture for dealing with this and that's what you do. And so I was just like, mm-hmm. huh? And then they were asking and they were getting all this information from each other. And I was just kind of like, basically, I was going a little bit nuts in my head, frankly, because I'm like, you know, there's like 50 years of management research on how to resolve conflict in corporations. And it saves a lot of time <laughs> if you actually just have one way of doing this, right? You know, that kind of thing. And, uh, but then I was thinking about it afterwards. And this particular company does a lot of work in different parts of the world. They're a consulting firm. They have to bring people together from different clients in different parts of the world. And I was thinking, you know, they might have a point, right? And it did, but this was afterwards when I thought this out. Cause I was kind of going like, are you really just going to toss 50 years of management science right out the window? And I think that <laughs> management science didn't really address this issue that they have, which is we're going to work for people from very different countries, very different backgrounds. We actually have to be explicit about how we actually handle these things that are often just invisible, right? Or you learn them the first day on the job in your one day training course of how to be, you know, how to be an FBI person or whatever. Right. And, and, uh, and it really turned, it turned my head around. I was thinking, Oh, you know, maybe they have a point. And maybe this is the way to think about it. And maybe if we made some more things that were invisible, visible, then we would be able to get along a little bit better as opposed to just assuming without even thinking that we're doing the assuming. Right. Um, And so I was going to, you know, like, it's always a challenge to talk about this stuff because I was kind of going into it with, oh, like, this is nuts. Right. But then and that was kind of my bias. I was listening with that bias that sort of that sort of said, oh, we got stuff to get done here. And you're talking about this. It's like hours of conversation and and uh and and then but then as i was thinking about it it it's like you know maybe they wouldn't be spending those hours of conversation if it wasn't actually relevant and they have found it to be relevant and so i started really sort of thinking about what i'd heard um and i I think that's a big part of it to answer your question directly now um i think the first thing is i think it shows up as that we're not thinking it shows up Mm -hmm. that we're just 
going through emotion. We're doing a thing, right? Or it shows up that we're thinking about a thing that's not that thing, but this other thing, right? I'm thinking about how can I get through this meeting to make a decision so I can do my work in the next day. And I'm not thinking about what it is that they're actually trying to get done in that meeting, right? So there's a thinking, not thinking thing going on. That would be one way it shows up. Mm -hmm. I think another way it shows up is if there's really an intolerance towards whatever that other view is, not an intolerance like it's an expressed intolerance, like I'm just intolerant to these things. It's more of of an intolerance. It's like, I really just need to get some stuff done. Right. I just need to get stuff done. And this is this is not the thing I came here to do today. And I, I my boss needs this thing by tonight and I really need to do this other thing. And they start tuning it out. Um, there's an amount of a lack of sort of grace, if you will. There's a lack of of mm-hmm. of, of, of recognizing that maybe the other person has a reason for doing that. The third place it shows up is maybe in the setup of whatever the meeting is. Right. That. If, if I'm the manager, let's say it's really incumbent on the leader of the meeting or somebody who has a role in that meeting, in that discussion to say something along the lines of, Hey, today we're going to do this and we're going to do this and this. And this is why we're doing these things, right? That to understand the why of the what, as, as somebody has said in the past, that that why matters. And if people can agree to the why, then they actually will open themselves up to participating in the what. Right. And, and so yes. I think it can show up as well when someone doesn't really know why they're doing it, but doesn't really know enough to ask the question that says, why are we doing this? And I think that's where it can show because then they imagine what the why is or they just make it up. And then they're like, why are we doing yes. this? Okay. Uh, we're doing it because this person thinks it's important or something like that. And it becomes a trivial reason. And so they treat it trivially and they think about these other things or don't think about the things they're supposed to be. So I think those are three ways that it can show up, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. Oh, absolutely. It, it really makes a lot of sense, too, because in talent development, we always talk about the WIFM, what's in it for yep. me. When you're designing training, you are always thinking about what your learners ask is, what's in it for me? Why am I here? It makes sense that that would come into play in meetings and certainly in terms of how you might listen to what's happening. If you don't feel connected to what is going on in that meeting, perhaps... Yeah a little less listening or a a little more listening bias might be incorporated. So I love that. And I think this is going to take us into essentially overcoming those uh, preconceived notions or biases that we're listening with. And I can hear uh, almost two different ways. So there's an external and an internal thing going on here. So one, let's start with the external. I I can almost hear already from what you've said is making sure that we're creating that space, like in those meetings and in those interactions, that we have time to actually listen, to focus. And then internally, I can already hear from what you're saying is um, being present, right? Trying to not think of something else. And one thing that I love, which Stephanie's going to laugh, I mentioned this constantly, is to show up curious. <laughs> I am going to laugh. <laughs> to show up that. curious. Yes. That's <laughs> one thing I love to talk about when I'm talking about listening. So what are some of your suggestions for uh, the uh, additional ones for overcoming yeah, this? Yeah. Uh, really nice question. And I think that I really mm-hmm. like the idea of the internal external, where there's a sort of a team play, as it were. Um, I think that when we create the space to listen, so I'm just going to build on kind of what you were saying there. Um, yeah, when we create the space to listen, I think we're providing, um, it, it's, 
let's let's sort of talk about what I think space might mean, right? I think we're we're creating a rationale and a reason and an agreement for why we're here together. Uh, and I think that we can create a space then by also sort of calming ourselves down from everything else that came before. So with this one company that I tend to work with sometimes, they often start with a minute of a minute of silence, right? Just a meditative minute, mm. right? To sort of settle the, the the synapses, if you will. Um, there's a guy who is it? He's a professor, and he wrote a book called Brain Rules, and he argued that that yes. in his lectures, it's ten minute chunks. So a 50 minute lecture is five, 10 minute mini lectures where he sort of stops at 10 minutes and resets. Right. And, and, uh, because your head gets full, right. And what that means is all the synapses are all primed. All these thoughts are going, your brain is working. And at some point you just got to settle. And then he sort of stops and Mm -hmm. starts again and it maintains attention because they can actually re sort of remuster their cognitive resources to pay attention. So I think Creating that space is partly calming and partly rational, rationalization, right? Why are we here? What's the rationale and what's, and and, and how can we just be calm so that we can be together here? So I think that's the first. Mm -hmm. Um, Building it in on being present. uh, I I think that, um, I think I might say being aware Right. Mm-hmm. And because I also really like that you bring in this curiosity side. And I think that one way to sort of be present to be that is to l- listen with imagination as well. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that, well, at least one of the ways I think about it, I say, I think, uh, um, I think that one, one of the ways of considering this is to bring your own imagination as it applies to this conversation here, right? What is it that we're all trying to do together? What are ways of understanding what's being said that is in that context? So it's mm. it's not only you're hearing the words they're saying, but also you're processing it, but in the context of what's in that room. A lot of times people might say like, oh, this, and you know, you, you know this from a corporate setting, right? And somebody's going to be saying, hey, that'll be really good. If this works out, I could get promoted. Right. That's not what I mean. <laughs> that is not what I mean here. Right? Um, I think it's real, but that is not what I mean. I mean something more along the lines of, of if somebody is saying something about a thing, you're thinking about how can my work align with that? How can I contribute to this? What kinds of questions can help them think better about it? What questions do I not understand? It's about their space. How does that work if this mm-hmm. happens? Um, oh, that's really interesting. What's an underlying assumption for that? Right. And sort of thinking about everything around what's being said and bringing your own imagination and your own thought to it also makes it more engaging for us. Right. So if it's if it's if it's if I just have to listen to somebody, I might know a lot about it already, but missing the key elements or a few things. So how can I actually think and expand that space and make it even better um, for them? And so I, I see it almost as a service. Right. And that is maybe a little bit corny, mm. but I do see it as being a little bit of a service. If you're there and there's a reason for you to be there, you're pr- providing some benefit in some way. Even if you're the recipient of this information, you're still listening in a way that can give back to the other person. That's, you know, oh, you really thought about this in a really nice way. Or I hadn't thought of it that way. Or I'm not really sure that is correct. Why were you thinking about it that way? Can you explain your reasoning? Can you help me understand how this actually happened or why it's like that? And even if it's something that is to you and you're like, this is awesome. I love what these guys are saying. I think this is great. But you can still give back instead of just taking, 
right? And I think that taking yes. can drain somebody else. Whereas if you give back mm. a little bit, even even if it's just good feedback, like, all right, I really enjoyed that, right? Then that person will feel better about their own work and they'll feel that it connected. To, and you had said this earlier, I believe, that that feeling of connection matters. They feel they belong. People belong together in this room doing this thing. Um, and and yeah. regardless of why, it, it, and I think I want to stay away from the meaning. It's like, oh, the meaning of my life or the meaning of the work. I think I'll stay away from that. I think it's just we belong to each other. We are social beings. We belong to each other in this space. We are doing this with and for each other. And and if we can, if we can just be really gracious to one another and even give back in the mm. sense of listening, then we can create yeah. that feeling of belonging. And then we can handle things that come at us from a business world, from the external space that's uncontrolled variability where somebody, you know, uh, Congress fails to get the debt thing passed, uh, you know, which was a big problem or <laughs> is a problem. And, you know, they, you're like, what happens here? And we can respond now as a team because we actually have that basis of being able to work together and be together. And we belong to each other doing this. Um, I think when people think that they belong to themselves and only themselves, I mean, it's a transaction and it's only about me. Uh, I think people just mm-hmm. stop listening entirely. They're, they're only listening then for the transaction. What am I getting out of this? Yeah. That was a long answer. I'm sorry. I, I actually... No, no that's, great. that's that's a fantastic answer. Yeah. And I think it touches on a lot of what it means to consider the role of listening, not just for things like understanding, which when you're thinking about listening, that's often where your mind will go first, but really about a point of connection. I mean, listening forms community. It creates space for people to feel like they can bond. And through those bonds, you'll get better work done. So I, I think it's a different side to listening than maybe many of us are used to considering. So I've absolutely loved this. And it gets me thinking too, you were you know, talking about giving. And for some reason, there was another connection point that came to my mind. I don't know if this will be a little bit of a stretch, but I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it. What came to my mind was the idea of feedback. And Mm. feedback is something that you often will listen to, but sometimes with a bias. Sometimes feedback is something (laughs) that you're simply not open to receiving. You don't like it. It doesn't work for you. You're hearing what you'd rather hear. I'd love to hear your thoughts on how a listening bias might impact that or perhaps any tips or strategies for getting past some of what otherwise might sound like a difficult conversation? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it is, it is like the $64,000 question. Um, it is. <laughs> I think there's two elements there. I think there's what you're saying yeah. and the, sort of the, yeah. the, the content of what's being said and what's being heard. And I think that there's the yep. emotion of what's being said and what's being heard. And I think those yes. two things right. are, need to work in concert. And when they're not in concert is where I think the bias starts to come in because we fill in with the emotional mm. side in the way that makes us feel safer. And so of course, yeah, feedback is always a chance for, I'm sorry, it's the other way around. Feedback is a time where somebody can, where there's a power dynamic in place. Even if it's two colleagues that are equivalent in whatever way, feedback is a power dynamic where somebody is saying, I have this thought for you. Right. And then, and so they're exercising a certain amount of power in that conversation in that space. Um, and the other person then will feel vulnerable to some degree. If the feedback is in the context of a boss and an employee or a manager and a subordinate, um, 
that vulnerability could be severe if it's like, I might get laid off, I might lose my job, I don't have health care. It's, it's a pretty traumatic thing to be laid off in, in the States, right? Um, or to, to lose a job or whatever the issue is. And one does not want to be vulnerable in that space. One wants to be as strong as one can be and as secure as one can be. And I think that when we're not vulnerable and listening to feedback, then we're actually going to process that feedback in the way that makes us feel as safe as we can. That makes us feel as safe mm-hmm. and as comfortable as we can. Even if what they're saying is correct, even if I could recognize what they're saying is, yeah, I could be better at this, to admit that or to be in that vulnerable position in that space is a difficult thing for people to do. They have to have, any person would, if it's me, I would have to feel overall very secure in myself to be able to take this on board to say, yes, you have a good point here. Right? And, and I, I can I can give you a story. Um, it was a long time ago when I really didn't know anything. I'm, I don't know anything now, but I knew even less then, the, the, uh, <laughs> which is hard to imagine. Um, the I was talking to an advisor in college and we were talking about something and, and I was going on and I was actually feeling pretty good. And he asked me a question. What do you think about this particular thing? And, and I said, well, it really depends on what theory you believe. If you believe it. And he said, no, stop. Right. <laughs> and I was looking at him and all of a sudden, because he said it like that, no, stop. Right. I, all of a sudden I felt like, oh, I just did something wrong. Right. And so my initial <laughs> thought was I did something wrong and I did, but not in the way that I thought. And, and then he said, never believe in a theory. Theories are useful or they are not useful, but you don't believe in a theory because when Mm. you believe in a theory, you stop thinking. Right. Mm. And, and our conversation ended that day. It was over. He was like, this was such an important lesson that it was like, I'm not even going to cloud your thoughts with anything we were talking about. Right. And he's like, that's where you're going to sit. And, and it, it is one of the singular best pieces of feedback that I'd ever gotten. The thing was, is that initially when he said, stop, right, I was a little bit afraid, right? And when I was mm-hmm. afraid, I was going to, yeah. I, I start to, sh- I shrunk, I sunk down. I was like, oh, I did something wrong. And I was starting to think about what I did wrong. I didn't have an open space to listen, right? I didn't have mm. a, a, like, oh. Uh, why are we stopping? I mean, I could have just done that too. I didn't. I was like, all right, I'm just going to be scolded. Right? And it was all that Catholic upbringing. But the, the, uh, it, it, <laughs> it was a very different stance than I had before he said that. But then he, when he said, okay, he, he approached this whole other thing entirely that I had no idea about. Then I started to feel like, all right, this is not something that I was ever thinking about before. So this is like a new lesson. And I felt a little better. Right. Um, and so I was able to hear it at the end. And he gave me that space to hear it by saying, this is what's going on. This is why it's important. And we're done now because you need to just get that in your head. Um, from a science point of view, it's super awesome. Right. Yeah. Uh, and, and so feedback <laughs> is really hard because you want to match the emotion to the content, right? And sometimes that emotion is going to be a sad, hard emotion. And it's like, you know, we've had this conversation four times. You're not doing very well. We're going to actually have to let you go, right? That's that's a hard message for anybody to say, unless you, you know if you have psychopathic tendencies. Maybe it's a little easier, but it's a harder lesson to actually. It's a hard <laughs> thing to say to somebody, right? Um, and yeah. you do it over time because the, the way it is. But the other person has to be able to hear it as well. And you want to be able to not have to get mm-hmm. to that point. You want to get to the earlier point. And so I think that it's the beginning mm-hmm. that matters. It's, it's, it's creating a, a place where people can feel um, they can be vulnerable and 
as long as we're recovering from that on a continuous basis, we're learning from it, we're growing from it, then it's okay. And vulnerability then becomes actually a positive trait. I think Brene Brown talks about this a lot. You can, it becomes a positive thing. It's like, look, if I kind of let down a little bit, then I'm open to learning and then I can actually do better and I can perform better. Now I'm actually contributing better. Now I'm feeling like I belong more. Now other people are seeing me come along as well. Now it's a social exercise, right? Now things are sort of, it's a virtuous cycle of what's going on. If I beat someone down because I've allowed them to be vulnerable and then I go in and I, right? Now they're not going to actually, they're going to be more hesitant to contribute. They're going to be more, on the on the average they're going to be more hesitant to make it to, to say something they're going to be more hesitant to take a chance and that's exactly what you don't want right? but it's actually what we do to people a lot of time because we're like hey you're not doing this right you need to do this thing over here and they don't give you any reason to believe that you can do better and make strong contributions and continue growing they've just given you that feedback and now you're left with this sour face you know it's like and yeah. no reason to not think otherwise it's very sad yeah yeah uh, it it is it is but i think the the story you share is just such a great example and yeah. you know it really does remind us of what i think has been kind of a theme for us today which it really is about the humanness of yes. how listening factors in so and i realize we've inadvertently thrown some really difficult questions your way today. And I've, I've loved the responses and I hate to say this to you, but we have three more really <laughs> difficult questions to offer to you. So I've loved this conversation. This is, this has really been fun. I feel like I have so many things to think about as, as we wrap up, but it is time for what we love to call our rapid fire section. So during our rapid fire section, we have three quick questions to ask you 60 seconds or less to respond to. What do you think? Are you ready for rapid fire after all we've put you through today? <laughs> sure. Fire away. All right. All right. Your very first question then. Give us one book that everyone must read and why. I think people should read An Immense World, An Immense World by Ed Young. Mm. And I think it's, it's, Basically, a science journalist writing about sensation in the natural world, how animals feel, see, hear, experience the world. So animal sensation. It is eye-opening. I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing. It's fantastic. The, you know, sensors in your feet and all these different things and ways of actually understanding the world. It, it fills the imagination beyond science fiction and it's the real world. So you see the world in a different mm -hmm. place. Like, wow, that bird is experiencing that world totally differently than I am right now kind of thing. And it's fantastic. Wow. It's wow. fantastic. And it, it's super accessible and it reads really well. And yeah, it's great. That's a new an one for world. me. I'm going to add that to I, the list. It's the yeah. best book I've read in a long time. <laughs> As an animal lover myself, I think that's going to be right at the top of the list. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Good recommendation. Uh, next question we've got for you. What is one tool that you can't live without? Um, my power drill, it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great, <laughs> a real tool. <laughs> A real tool. It's an actual <laughs> tool. Awesome. I use it all the time. And it's a battery-powered one, too. When I was a kid, I only had plug-in ones, which was always hard. But I use it all the time. Yep. I used it yesterday. <laughs> I mean, I use it all the time. And I have all the different little bits. I don't know why I have them all, but I have them all. So it's all the different things for doing stuff. So. 
I used it to drill a, uh, a, a hole in the ground to put a hummingbird feeding stand because I had this giant oh. bit and it, I couldn't get it in there. And so yeah. I was like, I'm just going to use my drill. And I went out with this giant there bit. There you go. Put it in, done. And I was like, I love this thing. Yeah. <laughs> I love the drill. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I have one and I love it myself. So yes. I am in complete alignment with that recommendation. Yes, everyone should have one. It was Absolutely definitely agree. a very literal response. I'm just kind of laughing. But yeah. That's, that's it's awesome. Kind of, it's, you're looking for versatility, right? Yeah. That is a versatile tool. I love it. I accept that. Wonderful answer. Yeah. Last one that we have for you is what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Hmm. I want to say that other thing that I said before, which is about the, yeah. I, um, I mean, there's a part of me that, yeah. that, that sticks with me, you know, even all these years later. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. And anything can be a theory, I think. Uh, a company yeah. is a theory, right? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, an organization is a theory that if we think about, an, an organizational structure is a theory of structure for a particular thing. Mm-hmm. So I, for me, thinking about and a, and a theory is actually a way of structuring knowledge. So it, if, if we're thinking about structures and organizations and um, knowledge in a, in a theory that can be used, theory that is useful, sorry, um, theory that is, is <laughs> if we're thinking about structures as things that are useful and not believed, then it allows them to be changed and we can adapt. And that's mm. why I think that's so useful and why Fred Owens was yeah. exactly right to stop the conversation right then as an undergraduate advisor and to say no. Right. And the reason that <laughs> it was so good is because I think it applies everywhere. If, if you believe something mm-hmm. blindly, then it can't be changed. Yeah. And if it can't be changed, then yeah. you can't take into account the way the world moves, the way we move, the way we change, the way we think about things, whether it's in the society or in a company, right? And 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 especially, I would say, even in a company, because it's very easy to get locked into, this is how we do these things. We do it like this. And it, it's been working so far. Yep. It's like, yeah, but you know, there's this whole other generation of people coming up. And they don't really quite think about it this way. They think about it this other way, or they have 15 different ways from Sunday of thinking about it. And this one thinks about it like that. And that one thinks about it like this. How are you going to homogenize? How are you going to work with them? Or do you homogenize them? Do you let them bloom? I don't know. But the idea is to understand where they're coming from and to understand how that could be useful. And I'm going to end with a story then. I think Red Orbach, uh, who was the coach of the Celtics in the 70s, I think nine out of 11 years they won. They asked him one time, maybe it's apocryphal, uh, but you know, what's your system? And he said, I don't have a system. And he goes, you got to have a system. And he goes, no, I just like work with what I have. And so he's like, these are the players. I try to figure out what strengths they have and how I can actually help that work together. I think that's what talent development is, is helping people work yes. together to get something done, but not to impose the strengths you wish they had on them but to actually work with and allow them to contribute with the strengths they do have, right? And to grow those. Yeah. And so I, I think that's a, that's a theory versus belief structure, right? I believe everyone can do this. No, they can't all do this. But I believe you. I know you can do this. And I know that he or she can do that, right? Yep. So can we make them work together? Oh, that is the perfect conclusion to 
this podcast and I think just talent <laughs> development in general. That's awesome. So well summarized. Yes. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for Charlie. having me. It's a fun conversation. Thank oh. you. And of course, we want to thank our community for joining us as well. Before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Are you a member of the Metro DC chapter of ATD? We have resources just for you. Go to dcatd.org and select the members only section of resources to access our digital library, member directory, and chapter documents. Want to network with other chapter members? Join the Metro DC chapter of ATD members on LinkedIn today. 